Welcome to Exploring Boys Education, a regular podcast produced by the International Boys Schools Coalition in which we have conversations about educating boys and the many issues that impact and affect boys schools and teachers of boys. Exploring Boys Education is hosted by me, Bruce Collins. I am the IBSC's Director of Membership Engagement. In today's episode, we find ourselves in Montreal at the IBSC Annual Conference, where we host conversations about the importance of boys' wellness. The quality of these social interaction, meaningful relationships, uh, there will always be adversity, there will always be social hierarchy. I'll argue that a heart is everything, right? In, in, in that if we focus more of our educational value what we're doing on developing the heart, we're probably going to actually develop the mind way better. Once you feel connected, once you feel safe, um, learning picks up exponentially. Teachers are the second most stressed profession next to nurses. If you haven't yet listened to our pilot episode, an important moment for boys and boys schools, why don't you take some time after listening to this episode to do so? Sherry Rasha, Dean of Faculty at St. Albans School in Washington, D.C., hosts a fascinating conversation with Dr. Adam Cox, author of Cracking the Boy Code. We start this episode, one in which we'll explore issues around boys' wellness and that of school faculty by connecting with Hal Hannaford, headmaster of Selwyn House School in Montreal, Canada. We also speak to Dr. Sonia Lupien and Dr. Ned Hallowell, who both spoke at our annual conference in June. In fact, the soothing music you hear accompanying this intro is Molly Johnson and her band, who entertained and challenged us at the same event. In her latest book, Dare to Lead, Brene Brown says this to teachers. As I often tell teachers, some of our most important leaders, we can't always ask our students to take off the armor at home or even on their way to school because their emotional and physical safety may require self-protection. But what we can do and what we are ethically called to do is create a space in our schools and classrooms where all students can walk in and for that day or hour take off the crushing weight of their armor, hang it on a rack and open their hearts to truly being seen. We must be guardians of a space that allows students to breathe and be curious and explore the world and be who they are without suffocation. They deserve one place where they can rumble with vulnerability and their hearts can exhale. We should never underestimate the benefit to a child of having a place to belong, even one where they can take off their armor. It can and often does change the trajectory of their life. So let's dive right in and talk to Hal Hannaford about the recent IBSC annual conference, the importance of the arts, and why boys' wellness is such a key point of focus for boys' schools. It's a real privilege to be sitting in Montreal with Hal Hannaford. Hal is the headmaster of Selwyn House School, and Selwyn House have put together a superb program, which we're very excited about, and we're Grateful to them for hosting this event. 
so thank you, Hal, for hosting us. Uh, thank you, Bruce. <laughs> it was a pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> just, just wondering, why, why is it important for the IBSC network to get together like we do at the annual conference? Um, in between these smaller regional events we host, what is it about an event like this that is so special? Well, um, I can tell you that right off the bat that if you asked me to rate the top three or four educational conferences that I've been to, <laughs> yeah. I think all IBSC annual conferences yeah. would be in the top three yeah. places. It's which IBSC conference was the best. They're amazing. Yeah. So uh, I think that common denominator of, of working with boys brings everyone together. Yeah. It's a conference where it's so easy to just talk, to meet with people. And the connections that we make face-to-face, -face, which is... There's no substitute for that. Yeah. It are truly unique, special. And I know myself is just I've been I've been fortunate enough to meet people from educators from all over the world. Yeah. Again, all related to the boys' school. So it's one of these things that, that I just I just think it's one of these you can't miss. Yeah. And and uh, I would think that any boys' school is does not have representation at this annual conference yeah. is really missing out something. Yeah, and the collegiality, I mean, just getting together with like-minded oh. people and challenging each other is, I mean, it's, and, and learning from each other. Well, I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, I think the conversations, my experience, I would think it's sort of 50% fun and frivolity yeah. and 50% real substance. Yeah. And, 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 you know, the substance just sort of evolves out of the great casual yeah. conversations. You know, Hal, I was really drawn to your conference theme, Boys in the Arts, Great Mind, Big Hearts. Apart from the fact that there's a lovely ring to it, I mean, I think there's, 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 there's a depth to it. And how did you come about um, fixing on that theme particularly? Well, I, look, the vision of this whole thing was really through our Dean of Students, Minna Shulman, started three years ago. Great Minds, Big Hearts has been a, been a bit of a slogan at Selwyn House. So it's part of our literature. Uh, we've always focused on the arts. And it's not that we are known as a great art school. Yeah. I mean, we've got some wonderful programs, but it's not... It, it, it's we pride ourselves in it, but but to, it's more about the culture. And the more we've talked about the the issues that we're dealing with, emotional well-being, and particularly mental wellness, we're trying to even get out of that mental yeah. wellness and just talk about health issues in yeah. general. That we we just understood that the arts is is it's just a necessity. It's it's not something that is nice and wouldn't it be great in the added value. It is it is absolutely crucial in the development of really everyone, but particularly particularly boys. So we thought, well, arts is so crucial, and then we'll try to combine it. We were worried that it was going to be construed or interpreted as being just a conference for arts yeah. teachers or just focusing on and And it's not. It's, I, 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 I tell everyone that, look, if you're really into arts, you're going to love this conference, and if you have nothing to do with the arts, you're going to love it even more. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just about the joy of experiencing it, and, and, and hopefully we can show the value of arts and everything else, how it can really aid in the development of everything in a school. In particularly, what struck me in that is the whole idea of, in educating boys, the connection between their minds and, and their hearts. Uh, for you, what is, what is the importance of boys' minds on the one side and hearts? How, do, how does that play out in a, in a school situation? Well, I, I, I mean, I, I'll argue that a heart is everything, right? Yeah. In, in that if we focus more of our educational value on what we're doing on developing the heart, we're probably going to actually yeah. develop the mind way better. And I think many times we focus on the mind as the priority. Yeah. So the whole point is to say, yeah, we want great minds and, and, and big hearts. But at the core of it, 
you know, that hard work. What is a great man? What is a nice guy? What does it mean to be kind? What does it mean? Yeah. What does it mean to really have a good heart? And, yeah. and you know, that doesn't mean you're void of mistakes and issues. And exactly. I mean, boys will get into as much trouble with a big heart yeah. as they will with no heart. They're fully capable. But how do but, they respond to those things? I mean, I think that's the key, isn't but, it? Well, you, you know, as I say all along, what, what you want boys to change their behavior. Yeah. They're, they're going to change their behavior when they experience compassion, kindness, empathy, love. And forgiveness, and then they will change. If they just experience punishment or hardcore, nothing ever changes. They change through those things. So, if if we can model that, or as I say, we judge a community by the ability of everyone in the community to look after each other. That's how we deal with health issues, quite frankly. And and it's about creating safe spaces, isn't it? It's that old adage. I mean, I'll I'll really believe that a boys' school is good for boy, good for better for boys. It's better for any boy. Yeah. And I think we've done so much in the last quarter century to, to make sure that boys' schools can be welcoming yeah. places for any boy, no matter what the interest. And the safe, safe place element is crucial because I actually believe that boys are much better at giving help than they are for yeah. asking for help. There seems to be a fairly strong focus in the conference program. I mean, you, you spoke about health, you know, but in, in particular, mental health. And I was just wondering, do you think that needs to be a core focus for boys' schools? Well... Uh, the simple answer is yes, definitely, and strategically. Yeah. It needs to be a huge focus. Um, one of the core elements that Susan and I will speak about, and I don't want to give too much away yeah. about that, is that uh, I mean we're going to make a plea for the, the whole concept of connection. Yeah. Not a new expression, but we think that it should be a strategic imperative of every school to foster meaningful connections because they are going to be the salvation of what every single person, and particularly every boy, is going to need in their yeah. life. And we, we boys' schools generally have historically done that really well, right? The yeah. old adage, yeah, I, of course. you know, you go to a boys' school, you keep your high school friends for life, yeah. and you understand about a real friendship, something that men have, have not been great at. So I think, yes, it has to be a focus. How are we going to deal with it? Well, Hal, I, I want to thank you so much for your time. We've... Uh... We've, we've spoken about a lot. And Bruce, thank you. And, and, and just I know that, that, that all the work you guys do is incredible. And um, I certainly think this is one organization that is, is crucial in education. I think everybody working with boys should really take a very, very active interest. And when you really take the time to discover what can be offered, it's, uh, I can't think of anything from a professional development point of view that has greater benefits. After a keynote address at the IBSC annual conference, we were able to catch up with Dr. Sonia Lupien to talk to her about stress. Sonia Lupien is the founder and director of the Center for Studies on Human Stress, which strives to transfer scientifically validated knowledge on stress to the public. Bonjour, Sonia. Bonjour. Uh, we've just listened to you address the IBSC annual conference, and thank you for taking the time mm, to speak my to pleasure. us. I just want to touch base on maybe some of the things that you, you spoke about, but let's start by chatting a little bit about your work on stress and your pursuit to understand the effects of stress on in children, teens, and, and young adults. Hmm. Well, for the last 28 years, I would say, I've been studying the effects of stress, particularly stress hormones, on the human brain. And I started my career actually working on the stress of older people. 
and I've done, done many, many studies on that until one day I realized that we do not become stressed at 65. Yeah. So what I was seeing in older people could have been there since birth or I don't know. I, so the older I get, the younger population I study yeah. because I go backwards to try to better understand where, where does it come from. I mean, that's fascinating for us particularly, I think, because the people listening to this podcast will mostly be teachers who work with children and, and teenagers. What sort of things would you say schools need to be mindful of in order to provide environments that minimize the impact of stress on, on the children in our care? Well, the, the things to understand uh, is that there are four characteristics of a situation that will induce a stress response. You don't have to have all four to have a stress response. So the situation has to be novel, unpredictable. It must be threatening to your ego, and you must have the feeling you don't have control over the situation. And because of all these four characteristics, we now know that any social interaction has the potential to lead to a stress response. Now, as you say, the kids now spend a lot of time mm -hmm. in schools, and so they are surrounded by all of these social interactions, you know, with their peers, where you're going to have social hierarchies kicking yeah. in with their teachers, etc. So I think that the, the, the quality of these social interaction, meaningful relationships. Uh, there will always be adversity. There will always be social hierarchy. You will always have children who are not picked up, you know, in the yeah. sports team, etc. But other places where they can come down and, and be with uh, others in meaningful relationships could take out the stress response that just happened, you know, in a corridor or something. So they need place where they can rest. Yeah. And it's interesting you say that because a lot of the research that has actually been done in our coalition uh, speaks to the fact that boys in particular are relational learners and those relational connections with, with teachers and other significant adults are, are, are really important. Yes. And I suppose uh, school environments fostering good relationships between students is also you know, part of that process. And something else I would add is that as I always say, they are everyone has a talent. Mm. And sometimes in schools or in any other environment, you know, uh, we put uh, on a pedestal some types of talents and not others, which has other kids being left out. So everyone has a talent. And yeah. if every child could, you know, push this talent, whatever the situation, whatever the environment, yeah, that's, that's... there would be less stress. Yeah, so creating, creating platforms for everyone, yes. celebrating a wide array yes. of success yep. and what it means to be successful. Exactly. What are some of the unique signs that we as teachers can notice in our daily interactions with uh, the children in our care? You mean the, the signs, of, the, signs the stress. of a stress response? So that, yeah. know, so, that, so that we can respond better to their um, mm -hmm. um, stress response. Well, I, uh, I love talking to teachers about the stress response because the notion that I really want to put into their mind is the notion of energy mobilization. Mm -hmm. So when you have a stress response, this stress response helps you fight or get away from a threat, right? And in order to fight or to get away, you need one thing, you need energy. So mm -hmm. your body will help you mobilize energy. And for you listening to this webcast, the notion of mobiliz mobilization of energy means if I was putting a 200 pounds uh, weight uh, on the ground and asking you to lift it, 
the, 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 what you would do, you would mobilize the energy to lift the 200 pounds. And this is a stress yeah. response. Now, once you let go of the 200 pounds, you will not start, you know, singing. You are going to shout. You are going to jump. You are going... Yeah. So this is exactly that. Each time energy is mobilized for a stress response, the energy has to go somewhere after the stress response. So you're going to see a lot of agitated behavior. You're going to see crying. You're going to see shouting. And this response will be different in different children. So if you look for the same response in everywhere, in everyone, you're going to miss a lot of information right there. So anything that is related to energy mobilization, you will see it. And so, I mean, I remember from your keynote, correct me if I'm wrong, but you said, you know, so often that response will be different. And, and so we need to look at each individual child, and if they're, if they're responding in a way that is different to how they normally respond, yes. then... We need to be aware and, and mindful of that. And that's very important, as I was saying, because people think that if you are a hyperactive type like I am, mm. you know, I speak fast, you should try me in French. <laughs> uh, they say, well, you're very stressed out. And I always say I'm not stressed out, I'm efficient. It's not the same thing. So actually, when there is a stress response, there is a modification of behavior from the baseline, meaning that if you have a very calm child, usually, this child will become agitated. Mm. In reverse, in contrast, someone who is hyperactive like me will become calm. When I'm calm, I'm extremely dangerous because I'm having a huge stress yeah. response. So you, if you know a bit of these children and you see a change in behavior, that's uh, the sign sometimes that there are a stress. there is a stress response. Yeah, and, and that's when we need to respond positively, and you mentioned relationship earlier being a key, a yes. key part of that. Uh, I was quite interested to, to hear you speak about sex differences and gender differences. Um, obviously, we're a boys' schools coalition, so you know, I think obviously those of us listening to us who have who have uh, daughters, you know, can also benefit from this conversation. But particularly, you know, what is the research starting to say about uh, stress response difference in in both biological sex as well as uh, uh, gender? Well, we started to make the difference between sex and gender. For us in science, any sexual difference is any difference between boys and girls related to biological factors, yeah. while a gender is any different uh, difference based on social factors, being feminine versus masculine, etc. In terms of sex, what we are showing is that uh, when we're measuring acute stress, meaning you know there's a situation and you're having an acute stress response, boys are men are six times more reactive than women. I mean, this is yeah. something that has been shown for many, many years. Yeah. Now, the other type of stressor is if I was measuring your stress hormones here and now, it could be high or low, depending if you had a fight with your, yeah. your spouse this morning or not. This is what we call basal stress. It's the stress that you, you walk with every day, etc. Now, women are significantly higher on basal stress than men. Since both acute and basal stress can lead to chronic stress, there's no difference between men and women sure. for different reasons. Men yeah. because they're more acutely reactive and women because they transport their stressors. So that's the sex difference. Now when we look at gender issues, you know, being very feminine or being very masculine, whether you're a boy or a girl, yeah. uh, could have an impact on your stress response. And what we have shown in my lab is that whether you're a man or a woman doesn't doesn't matter. The more you adopt masculine traits, the higher your levels of stress hormones. So there's a price to pay for these yeah. highly masculine traits. And the same thing with sexual orientation. Men are more reactive to stress than women, but what about homosexual men? Yeah. Will they react like women yeah. or men? And actually a student in my lab, a student in my lab showed that homosexual men react to stress like heterosexual women. 
wow. and it's the reverse for homosexual women. So it, there's a lot of differences that we have to take into account, and we have also showed, this is important for teenage boys, that those homosexual men who had low level of stress hormones were those who came out of the closet, so who had an environment that allowed them to come out of the closet, and then the stress response would normalize. I suppose, I mean, that speaks into that whole idea of, of our schools need to become safe spaces for people to express who they are. Yes, and probably as a they, person. Yeah, as a person. So, you know, if, 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 if boys are able to express who they really are and how they identify in our spaces, there'll be a, a minimizing of that stress response. And this is why, I, I, you know, it was important for me to say the best way to, lose, to, to decrease a stress response is to move. You have to lose the mobilized yeah. energy. Now, moving doesn't mean playing football or basketball for boys. Yes, it can be this, but it can also be dancing. Dancing is an amazing way to decrease a stress response. You lose a lot of energy when you dance and for many other reasons. So we have to allow boys to dance, you know, and yeah. this is in a boys' school. This is because a lot of them will like doing this. And it doesn't mean they have more feminine traits or not and uh, we see a lot of positive effects of dancing also you, you know you were, you were speaking about belly breathing mm -hmm. and and the benefit of singing and and you know the benefit of that in a boys school is, is also powerful exactly so when you sing you will do belly breathing meaning you will extend the diaphragm which is a muscle under your thoracic cage and when you extend it to a certain level, it activates a response that is called the parasympathetic vagal response yeah. that stop the stress hormones yeah. being produced. So, you know, I, I, I sing in my car, you know, yeah. when I have a stress response. So yeah. again, allowing these kids. Now, what I say to schools, you cannot put this mandatory. You cannot oblige a brain to do what it doesn't want to do. Yeah. So the best way to decrease stress in a school is to give all the choices the kids want, and they do whatever they want when they need. So they want to go play basketball, they go play basketball, they want to go sing, they sing, they want to do yoga, they do yoga, but at least they have the choice because what we know now is that the brain really likes having multiple methods to deal with stress. If you give only one, it's going to be very difficult for the brain to deal with that. So the mandate of schools is to provide multiple avenues yes. for, for this to happen. Yes. Um, so lastly, I want to give you an opportunity to talk about your programs that you offer. You're very generous in sharing your research about stress. And tell us a little bit about what's available on your website. Well, on the website, we have the program De-Stress for Success, at least the description of the program, because it needs us an entire day to train yeah. uh, teachers what we do. This is a program we developed. It's a stress education program. It's five workshops, uh, one hour each, that uh, are given in schools. We validated the program with 500 kids. It decreases stress hormones and depressive symptomatology. But obviously, I cannot go in all the schools uh, yeah. by country. So what we do every year, we train the trainer. So we have teachers from uh, all across Canada coming to the lab and receiving the training. We give them all we know about stress in kids and then we show them how to give the programs. They go back into this, their school and they give it to the, the children. And uh, we have a forum where everyone shares what they have done and we calculate that we have trained through the teachers around 72,000 kids so far in, uh, in Quebec. Uh, we are starting to have people asking us to do it through WebEx, to do it through the internet because we have people now in Ireland and in yeah. many other countries. If we have enough demands, we will do it and we're going to have to find a way to export the program. Yeah. Uh, but uh, obviously uh, the, yeah. just talking to children about stress and telling them that stress is there to help you survive, not to kill you. Yeah. Just do this and you will do half the job.
Well, Sonia, I know that um, the delegates at this conference were overwhelmed by your your keynote. Um, it was simply superb. We've got a small taste of that now on this uh, on this segment of the podcast. But uh, thank you so much for taking You're the welcome. time to, pleasure. to be with us. Thanks. Another expert from whom we were privileged to learn at the IBSC annual conference in Montreal was Dr. Ned Hallowell. Dr. Hallowell is a child and adult psychiatrist devoted to helping people identify and channel their strengths in today's crazy busy world. He is internationally recognized and founded the Hallowell Centers in Boston Metro West, New York, San Francisco and Seattle. These centers specialize in his signature strengths-based approach to the diagnosis and treatment of cognitive and emotional concerns, especially ADHD. Thank you so much for being willing to take the time to reflect. You've, you've spent time in, in a keynote and you've, you've given of your time and so we really appreciate it. So welcome. Nice to be with you. I love the phrase you coined about your work, which essentially is, I don't treat disabilities, I help unwrap gifts. Help us understand what you mean. Well, just that, you know, I I think that um, the conditions I specialize in, both ADHD and dyslexia, uh, at their core uh, uh, are gifts if if you uh, deal with them properly. Uh, They're they're designated as disabilities and they certainly do have a downside to them, but if if you manage them properly the, the positive side of them far outweighs the negative side of them. So I, I see what I do as, as unwrapping a gift. And that does entail dealing with some negative parts of it. And so I suppose, I mean, for us as educators, as boys, I mean, we might not be able to unwrap those gifts as you do professionally, but for us to maybe see those, those disabilities in a different light, it, it yeah. could be part of the solution. Yeah, absolutely. Not, not think of them as impaired, but think of them as, you know, race car brain with bicycle brakes is how, <laughs> yeah, is how, yeah. I, is how I describe ADD. You know? So if you could think of this kid as trying to strengthen his brakes rather than being a bad boy. What, what would you suggest? I think sometimes as teachers of boys, we, we don't always feel... Um, prepared to to deal with children in our care who who face real challenges. What are some of the things we as educators of boys need to be on the lookout for? What what are those things we need to be aware of and notice in in the children we teach? Well, just anybody who's not uh, fulfilling their potential, anybody who's underachieving, and you and you wonder why. Mm. Anyone who's under who's unhappy, and you wonder why. Uh, wherever you see conflict and you don't understand it, whenever you have a question about a child, uh, talk to someone else, another teacher, a parent, a consultant. You know, just as my old saying goes, never worry alone. Yeah. You know, bring your worry to someone else. I think, I mean, you alluded to it in your keynotes, is this, this, this idea of other people's perceptions of, of people who, who do struggle or have learning um, disabilities. Um, how would you suggest boys' schools and teachers of boys navigate the negative perceptions of and the prejudicial behaviors towards learning difficulties? Well, just stick up for the truth, you know, that the, these prejudices are prejudices. The fact of the matter is, uh, some of the most accomplished people in the world have these so-called learning disabilities. So, so uh, just 
inform parents that there's nothing to be ashamed of. We just need to unwrap the gift, promote the positive, and, and the, 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 the good side will emerge. You talk about the power of connectedness in your keynote address. In fact, that was my main takeaway today, is this idea of connectedness. Um, could you elaborate a little bit on that in, in terms of teachers creating safe spaces for the boys we teach? Yeah, w once you feel connected, once you feel safe, um, learning picks up exponentially. My old friend Priscilla Vale, who's now in heaven, she used to say emotion is the on-off switch for learning. And, you know, once you get fear and anxiety out of the way, learning takes off. But if fear and anxiety are in the way, uh, learning grinds to a halt. Yeah. So one of the teacher's main jobs is to create a, a safe classroom where it's, it's okay to fail, where it's yeah. okay to make mistakes. Do you think part of our role is to celebrate who, who boys are? Oh, yeah. No, and, and, and help, them, help them do the same, yeah. you know. Have fun yeah. being boys. I liked what you said about discovering play again. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, uh, I can't remember how you said it. You know, we, we used to do something, you know, go outside. Right, right. We used something that's now obsolete called go out and play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And, pro and that benefit of relationship and, 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 and downtime probably also plays a huge yeah, role in, yeah, in those yeah. safe spaces. Yeah. I think there's been a lot of focus at this conference in particular on health and wellness, particularly on mental wellness. What about, what, what do schools need to do to create cultures in which that kind of wellness is celebrated? Because not only for boys, but for their faculty too. Um, uh, many faculty are under pressure, boys are under pressure. How do we create cultures in our schools um, that value the mental wellness of the people in our care? We'll just create a culture that's low on fear and high on trust. And I think that sort of defines defines a mentally healthy culture, high trust, low fear, yeah. you know, and permission to be real. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of people just at the end of your keynotes um, uh, having, having uh, their, their books signed by you. Yeah. Um, before we close out, just share a little bit about your, your, your latest work and uh, where, we can, where we can pick it up. Yeah, my last, my last book is a memoir. It's called Because I Come From a Crazy Family. <laughs> and uh, my family was crazy. I love yeah. them, but they were crazy. And yeah. it's sort of the story of, uh, of that. And um, funny stories, sad stories, it's a, it's a memoir because I come from a crazy family. You can get it on Amazon or any bookstore. Yeah. Dr. Halliwell, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us. Thank you, Bruce. And uh, we trust that you will continue with this work yeah. and continue making a difference. Thank you so much. It struck me in these conversations with Hal and with Sonia and with Ned that it's not only the boys in our care who struggle with issues around mental wellness, but that our faculty, our teachers, are also under stress. In a recent conversation with Shimi Kang, this is what she had to say about teachers and stress. Um, so this stress being the number one health epidemic is not unique to just students. Um, they are also um, the teachers and administrators. And in fact, teachers are um, the second most stressed profession uh, uh, next to nurses, and there's actually a bit of a fight for the top of uh, almost 68 
to 69% of teachers and nurses say they live in a constantly stressed or feel constantly stressed. In my conversations with Hal Hannaford in Montreal, we also touched on faculty health and wellness. It's interesting, for, for 20 years I taught, was one of the founders of the Canadian Accredited Independent Schools Leadership yeah. Institute, and I always taught the faculty culture module yeah. for aspiring heads. And in that faculty culture, one of the rules I, I profess is the 30% rule. And the 30% rule is indicating that in any given one period of time on your faculty, 30% of that group is going to be going through some very difficult yeah. time in their life. Always 30%. Yeah. It changes. You're going to be part of that 30%. It may be very serious. You can yeah. imagine the issues. So one is identifying that. Secondly is that boys model. They emulate yeah. So if the best way to have our boys be looking after each other and caring is to see a faculty and a staff that do the look same thing, that look after each other. Mm-hmm. So make it a priority. I mean, yeah. you're doing, seeing stuff like now where uh, uh, I know uh, uh, many people are, are getting into the concept of mental illness first aid courses. Yeah. It's a big thing. We're doing a, a program like that at school this August for about 30 of our faculty. And, and again, sometimes I struggle with the separation of it. We should be just talking about health, but it's mm. important. So we're bringing it to the surface. But the priority has got to be with your faculty first yeah. and your staff, and then they will pass it on. And boys are, as I said, boys are great emulators. They, they just want to see. And, they, and you know, they, they pick up everything. And if they see that that's the culture where, where we are looking after one another and embracing it and being open dialogue about our faculty members who are away for three months because they're suffering from massive depression yeah. or doing something or, or a life-changing event, that, that, that we're okay. We're treating that the same as cancer, for goodness sakes. Yeah. That somebody is, is, is in there, we're looking after, we're supporting. When they come back, they're all back. We're yeah. joyous. Welcome back to see them. It's, it's, yeah. it's like an amazing thing. So that's what we have to do. Yeah. It does start, though. I agree, Bruce. It does, it's going to start with faculty and staff. So, and I think what I was getting at is, is, you know, that safe space extends beyond the boys in our care to everyone who's part of the community. Well, it? well, I'll tell you, that, sure, in a safe space, it, you know, as I'll argue, yeah. it, you need to have a safe, safe space for the head of the school as exactly, well, right? Yeah. Who, where, is, where are the safe spaces going to yeah. be? And what is the role of all that? Yeah. And, 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 and the stigma around it. I mean, I'll argue that, uh, you know, a head of a school... The head of a very revered school comes up and says, and, and says he or she suffers from severe mental illness and has survived and all that stuff. What's the governance reaction to that? Yeah, exactly. The governance reaction should be, oh, this is amazing. This will make us a better school. Yeah. And we will work into that. But I think you and I both know yeah, that that's a little bit of a, we're a little yeah, bit of a, a gap between that. It's a yeah. bit of a stretch right now. Yeah. It's an evolution. I, I, I think we're heading in the right direction. That's I do. And I never worry about the speed of change. Yeah. What I do worry about is, are, are we heading in the right direction? And I actually think we are. So as we reflect on what we have heard today, let's contextualize Brene Brown's words with which I started this podcast for boys' schools. We should never underestimate the benefit to a boy of having a place to belong, even one where he can take off his armor. It can and often does change the trajectory of his life. And let's look after each other. Fellow teachers, look out for your colleagues so that our schools can become places where everyone has the opportunity to celebrate wellness. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Exploring Boys Education. 
Feel free to give us feedback by emailing us on ibsc at theibsc.org. We would also love for you to visit our website, www.theibsc.org, to check out some of the amazing resources we have for teachers of boys and boys' schools. Also, we have some online classes starting soon. Check these out on our website. Lastly, if you enjoyed what you listened to today, it was just a taste of what you will get at the IBSC annual conference. Next year's conference will be at Viaro Global School in Barcelona, Spain, from July 8th to 11th. Why don't you save the date and join us there? Join us next time on Exploring Boys Education as we talk about the premier professional development offering of the IBSC, the IBSC Action Research Program. We'll be having a conversation with Margot Long who heads up the program and her wonderful team of advisors. Until then, goodbye.